unfortunately not recording on a dark and stormy night. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Even about four or five hours earlier, there would have been a lot of background noise from windows rattling and style uh, noises because it's been rather blowy up here on the seventh floor with a relatively open view. Um, there was a hurricane passing over the Buenos Aires province coast, and I think we've had the tailwinds of it whipping over Capital Federal for the last two and a half days or something, and it appears to have died down now at last. Uh, welcome to episode 232 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and this week I'm joined. By Andres Bruckner. Hello, how are you? And by Fran Aldasha. Hey, how's it going? Who is currently phoneless, or only has one phone, rather than two. Um, but good luck finding it tomorrow, Fran. Thanks very much. Um, we will get straight on with the Primera División results from last weekend, which were... Oh, that's the this coming weekend fixtures I've got up here. Let's get to round two. Uh, those were Patronato de Paraná, Nil, Gimnasia La Plata 1, Huracán 1, Quilmes 1 on Friday night. On Saturday we had Olimpo nil, Lanús nil, Banfield nil, Colón nil, San Martín nil, Racing two, Union nil, Aldo Civi nil, there were not very many goals on Saturday were there, Defensa Justicia nil, San Lorenzo two, and Independiente two, Godoy Cruz nil. On Sunday, Newell's Old Boys beat Tigre one nil in Rosario, Vélez Sarsfield beat Rosario Central two nil in Liniers, Estudiantes beat Sarmiento one nil in La Plata, Boca Juniors beat Belgrano de Cordoba 3-0 in La Bombonera. Tacheres lost at home 1-0 to River Plate in Cordoba. And on Monday, Arsenal won Atletico de Tucumán, th- Atletico Tucumán 3 sorry, and Atletico de Rafaela won Tempele 0. Um, main talking points of the weekend, gents? We might as well jump straight in, two-footed. I think two very good victories by uh, Boca and River, mm. especially River away against a team that was unbeaten for so long, coming off the back of of a great promotion season. Yeah, the last time that Tacheres lost at home, they were in the third division, because of course they came straight through the second division transitional championship. They were 20 games unbeaten at home. Um, Obviously, nine of those games were against third division teams, and, and eleven of them were against second division teams in a league system where, at present, the second division is ten teams worse than than it would be. Um, so, none of, of quite the standard of River uh, among the opponents, but it was still, as Fran says, a very strong um, uh, a team on a roll. Let's say, especially coming off that first round one-one um, draw away to Racing. And yeah, and I think it says uh, a lot about the ambition. Sorry, that that Gajardo has instilled in Rio for this season, that they they went to Tajeres to to the Campus Stadium, that was full to the brim, and they still won. Hmm. Yes, the atmosphere was just it was boiling, uh, uh, full of people, of course, with a lot of uh, the, the, the expectation for for them was to perhaps defeat. Uh, 
the, the well, a, a, a big club like River after 40 games of, of uh, being uh, being unbeaten there, and uh, yes, uh, the ambition is was there, not the, the the play or the 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 brightness, but they had to play like that because Tacheres was pressing so high that the, the way that River perhaps wanted to do, but they couldn't because Tacher was just on the on the Riverside. Um, perhaps not uh, creating a lot of opportunities of goal opportunities, but on their on their side, and uh, uh, that was a game to win like they did with personality, with eggs, with with running, with uh, and and they could play uh, in a better way to do it. But uh, was not the final, but to be played like a final, uh, and and to be <laughs> to, to score a goal like they did with a, a rebound from. Uh, from the from the goalkeeper and and, and the defender that is there to just to push the ball into, into the net, it was a match like the ones you you have to play like they like they did. I think it was tense up to the the red card for Tajeres. I think after that, Rio sort of drew back and were able to control. Yes, the, after the, the goal and after the the, the red card uh, for Pablo Guinnessu, uh, the match was tight, was even, and after that. River, of course, had the pace and the ball. Uh, with Tacheres being more desperate to, to, to score the equalizer, and River managing the big the, the, the difference, and of course the the ball. It was served for them to 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 do uh, the game that they perhaps wanted before, but they couldn't. Um, indeed, don't think I can add much to that. I think the the opposite happened in La Bombonera. I was about to say because I, I was um, hoping, and uh, up until today I thought it was just going to be me and Andres recording today because I completely missed your email somehow yesterday, Fran. Um, and I was really hoping that one of our Boca supporters would would come along because I thought that uh, it seems to have been something that in the last few years Boca made a bit of a habit of sort of grinding out results, looking not always entirely convincing even though they're winning and getting to the point where they need to put in a big performance in La Bombonera or the manager's going to start coming under pressure and I thought it was precisely that kind of uh, that kind of performance they, they answered it really well I thought they were they were very impressive with the exception obviously of Carlos Tevez's moment of idiocy which got him sent off four minutes after scoring his goal um, but what did you make of it? No, I think it's uh, it's crazy to think you're right but it's crazy to think that only after one match uh, against the the last champions that, that Boca lost in, in the first uh, encounter of the season, that Guillermo Barros Filoto would come under a lot of pressure if he didn't mm. if he hadn't won this match. Um, it's pretty mental how how much pressure comes with the managerial position in, in Argentina and especially at clubs like Boca and Rio. But Putting that aside, I think uh, what I was getting at with it being having been the opposite of what happened to Rio at uh, the Kempa Stadium, I think um, Boca responded magnificently to Tevez's sending off. Obviously, it, w- it came from a set piece, the second goal, immediately after uh, Tevez got the red card. But I think after 20 minutes where I was actually at the stadium, I was thinking to myself, this is uh, this is a nightmare scenario. We can't we can't get the ball out of our own half. There's no there's no through balls. There's no ideas. And after those first twenty minutes that Boca settled in, 
I think uh, some some good ideas were coming up up front, and uh, I think Centurion was was the man of the match. I think he he was the revelation uh, for 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 Boca on Sunday. Barrosekilotto is going to be telling him to crash his car more frequently as match preparation. Yeah, yeah. The threat is uh, the risk is that he's going to kill someone or kill himself in between in between matches. But the the stuff that he can do on the pitch, he he might have. Might have talked with him, and and perhaps uh, watched him or or saw something in him, to that thirst of revenge. Like, like you when you're saying, I had a terrible week, I had a, a car crash, drank, uh, and my public image is is under the, under is uh, sub zero, and I I need to to, to prove to, myself. So perhaps like something like that, and 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 he swore that he would be. Well, apart from not doing that anymore, to crash, to crash a car, being drunk, uh, to have his behavior perhaps more tidily, and and well, uh, to demonstrate it in the in the in the in the match, and perhaps he did he he shared something like that, and and and, and well, he demonstrated uh, that because uh, he played a very very good, uh, at especially first 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 half. I could. Watch parts of the match and, and first half. First half of Centurion was was uh, something more uh, similar to what he used to do at Racing because mm. Sao Paulo mm. uh, mediocre. Yes. At Sao Paulo, yeah, I think I, he I would was. I would like to interject. Sorry, sorry on, on behalf of the Handapod legal team, and say allegedly drunk when he crashed the car because allegedly. his lawyer has stated that that he wasn't. He's uh, okay. swearing blind. He was sober, which makes you wonder how it happened, but. Um, Yes, yeah, so alleged. We can't stress that enough. So I, I think after the scandal, I, I was uh, very surprised that he was included in, in the starting starting lineup. But uh, I think he it was it was very strange to see because Boca fans aren't usually very receptive to showboating on a debut match uh, at the Bombonera for any player, and I think uh, instantly, as soon as he stepped over the ball or did a, like a fancy trick. The Boca fans were just in awe, and and I think he he took to the heart of of Boca fans immediately, despite of what was this this scandal during the week, and and he he was also able in the second half, despite him playing probably a little bit better in the first half, he was able to get a Belgrano player sent off to make it ten against ten. Yeah, Federico Alvarez. Um, it's if incredible. I sorry, this night properly. sorry, but it's incredible for me at least. How uh, in very very few cases, uh, two or three cases I, I I guess, manager is more important than players, and I think that in Belgrano that is the thing. What, what, that is what happened mm. because uh, we can say, and I don't have the players right now, the the squad, the squad that Cielinski had, and the the the, the squad that uh, uh, with Tete uh, Gonzalez comes. With because uh, there there may be might be different players, but the way and the, atti- the attitude and the and the the, the, the concentration that Belgrano had when when Zielinski was the manager, it was was something very very different to mm. to what they showed at least mm. the, at, the starting eleven that Belgrano yes, had, of course. with the exception of I think Gabriel Alanis is is a new player for them. Apart from him, I'm looking at it now, and and it's uh, it pretty much looks like a Cielinski team. That you know, 
they, they pretty much all played under him, I think. But you're right, I thought for the first, as, as Franz said, Boca were having difficulty prior to, to Tevez' opener. Um, I thought for that, that first sort of 25 minutes, half an hour, Belgrano were putting in a typical Sielinski-Belgrano away performance. And then once Tevez made the breakthrough, they seemed to crumble. They didn't mm. seem able to... Uh, to get back into the game at all, and you know, part of that was was credit to Boca, who even after going down to ten men, as as Franz says, responded really well. But also, you have to wonder why. What, was there a mental block? Was it the way the manager? I think it was up? clearly psychological because the pressure up high that Belgrano applied during the first twenty minutes was extremely effective, mm. and um, they just fell apart afterward because Boca beat them. Boca players beat them to every single ball. It was. It was something that I hadn't seen in a, in a while. A team so inferior. Yeah. It looked like after the defeat against Lanús that they needed a goal to to be more confident, of course, as usually. But uh, that goal like released them, and yes, after that it was only one team in the in the, in the match, and the the goal as, as to to <clears throat> a complete my idea. The ball, the, the first goal, the TV goal, goal born born from. A, a ball lost from Belgrano, I think. Mm. Uh, midfielder, I don't remember the, the one who, who lost it. But uh, that that proves that they, they they were playing more like close to the, to the Boca players. But after that mistake, it was all over. I think something to to point out that I heard uh, a couple of people say, a couple of Boca supporters who I know, that after Tevez was sent off. It seemed like the play was flowing more, that it didn't have to go through Tevez, that he, he you know, how he falls back as a false number nine to, to pick up the ball in the middle of the park. It didn't have to go through him, so it was kind of liberating in a way. Which is, it, it sort of ties in with what we were saying for a lot of the first half of the year, that Tevez hasn't really been one of Boca's best players in spite, during that period, obviously, when he signed for the second half of last year, he was crucial to winning the league for you. Um, but so far this year, he's been a long way from being one of Boca's best players, even though he's arguably the only undroppable one. Um, and now he's going to be out for, given that uh, he was uh, shown a red card, well, a two yellow cards in very quick succession, the second of which was for insulting the referee, um, which is a minimum three-match penalty, I think, isn't it, under the AFA's guidelines. We don't know how many exactly he's going to get. But the early discussions about how Boca are going to be replacing him seem to be that they're going to bring in um, probably Fernando Suki into the midfield. Which is interesting, given that Suki operates so much deeper than mm. Tevez, so they're not really going to try and find a like-for-like -like replacement. I think I saw a, a poll on Ole, or one of these websites, maybe it was on Twitter, that the three options that they, they proposed were Castellani, mm -hmm. um, Centurion in that false number nine position, which I don't agree with at all, I think he's a winger, and the third one was moving Paulo Perez up who has been playing in, in the number five position. Um, I hadn't heard of Zuki, but I do, I do think that Zuki has, is very technically gifted, and I think he could do that, uh, fill in that position well. But, um, but I think what's interesting about Tevez is that he, he scored a magnificent goal to, yeah. to, to, for the 1-0 against Belgrano, and it looked like everything was rosy, everything was getting back to normal. And and then Boca play even better without him. So I mean, it's it's a bit of a, a conundrum for for Roseloto. Obviously, he's he's going to come straight back into the team. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how the team plays without him from the start 
this uh, this Sunday. It will. We had a little bit of history um, this weekend. I don't know whether either of you two spotted this. It probably did. It did the rounds on Twitter. Um, after Rivers' victory, when it when it became confirmed that it's only the second time in the professional era that all of the big five have won whilst keeping clean sheets on the same weekend. Well, because San Lorenzo, Racing, and Independiente all also won to nil. Racing, as we said, two nil away to San Martin. Independiente two nil at home to Godoy Cruz, and San Lorenzo two nil away to Defensa Justicia. Um, which of these did we see the most of collectively, gents? Tumbleweed blows across the studio. Could be Racing, perhaps. Okay. Sorry, what was the question? Yeah, which was, one did we watch? Between the, between the three of us, which one can we say the most? Uh, the, the most four of, of those three matches. Which I one we bits s- of Independientes? Uh, no, I only saw game. highlights. To be completely honest. Yes, likewise. Should have planned this better, shouldn't I? I should have tried to watch some of the football on Saturday. Um, to be fair, Andres did warn you beforehand. Andres did, yes. No, he, he, I didn't. He um, I'm a fraud. And it, it was also my fault for uh, not paying enough attention. But well done to uh, Racing and San Lorenzo and Independiente, who have collectively made that bit of history. And we should also mention now, since we're talking about Independiente, that they've just gone 1-0 up, as we record, um, at home to Lanús in the Copa Sudamericana, last 32-second leg. Uh, having won the first leg 2-0 in Lanús, of course, a few weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, I think um, that San Lorenzo... Need, oh, that's right, I did see some of the San Lorenzo game. They had looked very, very, very open indeed on the opening weekend against San Martín when they drew 2-2, of course, with Ezequiel Montaña scoring twice, the, the on-loan from San Lorenzo player for San Martín. Um, and I thought they, they sort of, on the one hand, closed it down very well, scored very well against Defensio Dicia, who had in the first weekend had gone away and got a nil-nil draw away to, to Rosario Central which sounded like a really good result um, but the results this weekend the sort of collective ones the A defensive DCS performance which was great for 20 minutes and then San Lorenzo scored through Nico Blandi and, and that was Blandi has been one. scoring a lot yeah he, has, he must have a very good uh, goal ratio he's, he's on fire um, but A that B the fact that Rosario Central lost and really looked very ordinary indeed away to Vélez. And I'm starting to think, how sort of was that first weekend result for Defensa Justicia really that impressive, or have Central sort of passed it already? I think uh, I think with the uh, transfer season and a couple of key players leaving, uh, La Ronda to Ri- River, mm. who else left? Um, uh, Franco Servi. Franco Servi. So I think they were pretty crucial to... They were part of that crux that made Rosario Central who they are. And I think uh, Teo Gutierrez is a great signing, but he's not very consistent. And throughout his his career, he hasn't been... Uh, that, no. There's a reason he didn't go to the Copa America. He's not yeah. he's, he's also, he, he wasn't in the squad at White Valley Caesar. I'm not sure whether he's injured um, or perhaps he's carrying a suspension from, from when he was last in Argentina. Um, but I mean, you're right, they, they've replaced a player, particularly in that role, La Rondo, who was a bit of a workman, it has to be said, before, um, before going to Central. He never really looked too impressive, but he was undoubtedly hard working. And they've replaced him medium to long term with, with Teo Gutierrez who is perhaps a little bit less motivated to always do his best um, to put it kindly yes. for me it was a surprisingly bad uh, start of the season for, for Rosario Central uh, with uh, Teo being 
perhaps more uh, something so someone who who uh, plays for the show and and and, and tries to uh, to hire confidence of the of the of, of his teammates but after and, and uh, up to now uh, well it was uh, nothing nothing what Rosario Central was showing uh, during the, the last season and that's why we chose them as the possible of course in the preview in the preview or the previous uh, candidate listings the, 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 the one of the teams who will be there to, to fight for the title and, and up, to, um, up to now it was nothing similar to that I, I think we have to we have to underline that it's it's surprising that they're doing poorly but it, it has only been two matches just one draw and one defeat correct mm. but look at the teams at home to defense Justicia and mm. away to Vélez who last season were awful mm. um, and I'm trying to work I mean this is the other question then that also ties in how, how impressive was defense Justicia's 0-0 draw in the opening round away to Central because at the time we thought wow well done them it's really good but then Central go and lose away to Vélez and you think maybe I mean either Vélez have suddenly got a lot better over the winter than they have been for the last year and a half two years or Central have suddenly become crap um, and I couldn't really work out which it was. Whilst, I mean, I, I wasn't able to focus fully on on, on Vélez Central because there was another game going on at the same time. I can't remember which. Um, the Estudiante Sarmiento game, and um, as a result, I couldn't sort of give it my undivided attention. But what I did see seemed to be a bit of a mix of the two things. I didn't think that Vélez were mind-blowingly good. That they're clearly better than they were because last season they wouldn't have scored those two goals. I don't think. Not watching, not having watched the, the match, I, I I bet it was more a, a poor performance by Rosario Central than a brilliant one from from mm. Vélez. Uh, and two goals from Pavone, who has another player who hasn't been something awesome in the in the last season. Now he's he has scored those those two goals with which with Vélez uh, defeat defeat Rosario Central. Uh, but well, as I saw as I said, I have watched the match and I had to. I, I think previously that that was more a, a bad match from, from, from Rosario Central. Yes, I'm inclined to think that eventually Central's quality is going to tell through and they're going to improve somewhat, but it's been an iffy start for them. But there, there, there are 27 matches to go. Of Precisely. There's about uh, 28, no? Yes. 30 in total, yeah. Um, elsewhere... Uh, we had, um, I'm desperately trying to look through it, another good win for Estudiantes and another goal from Ivan Bailone, who was our... Ignacio. Ignacio, thank you. I remember the art, well, I have the eye written down here, um, who was the uh, player who one of our listeners asked about last week and, well, he's got another one. He's young, isn't he, we said last week? Yes, I think he was... the one who went off to Belgium or somewhere and didn't play. To Serbia, the last one. Very, very difficult to... Uh, Team to pronounce, to spell also. Uh, having doing having done the, the preseason for one month and then uh, signing for Estudiantes as a free agent and uh, now with well these two goals that are like those players like for example as I, as I have been telling you before we record we started record, recording uh, for example Jorge Moreiras a, a player a, the Paraguayan right back that mm. no one. Having have watched before, or at least I I didn't uh, appear to 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 know, 
um, he has been doing Magnificent. Well. Yes, uh, yeah. same as for example Ignacio Bailone, the, the two two goals scoring from for Estudiantes. Uh, and in fact, on Sunday, uh, Moreira was magnificent, not in his first choice position at right back, but he was really good at left back because Milton Casco got injured very early on. Moreira moved across to left back and um, Camilo Machado came in to, to play right back. Yeah. And he been um, almost, almost scored uh, a goal. Yes, he, yeah, on a couple of occasions actually. I, that, cutting in onto his obviously much stronger right foot and, and having a go from just outside the box. Um, before we go to our half-time break, I would like to discuss, although I didn't see either of the matches myself because I was at the non-award winning Buenos Aires pub quiz, um, hosting it in fact, uh, on Monday evening, but the relegation battle, and if you're new to Handapod and new to Argentine football, you'll be wondering why we're talking about the relegation battle when only two matches have passed. It's because far more than two matches have passed in the relegation battle because uh, the promedios, the points averaging system over the last three years, um, are still in force for this season. I think the medium to long term plan at the AFA appears to be that they're going to get rid of them at some point, but they haven't done so yet. Um, so we're having points from 2014 transition, 2015 year round season, the 2016 transition, and this current season will all be taken into account for relegation. Um, and those teams who have not played all of those seasons will have their points divided by matches that they have played in that time in the Primera. Um, to decide it. And the reason that I'm focusing here on two matches that I didn't see is because the big relegation dogfight stuff took place on Monday evening. I think they could almost have scheduled these matches towards the end of the season and there would have been a bit more drama involved. Um, where Arsenal de Sarandí hosted Atletico Tucumán and Atletico de Rafaela hosted Temperley. Um, those sides between them make up, well, Atletico de Rafaela and Temperley are right down in the relegation zone. Um, and Arsenal and the other ones, who did I say, are also in the mixer. Let's say Arsenal look fairly confident at the moment, but if they start dropping points again, they're going to be in trouble. So at the moment, the relegation zone is filled by Tacheres, who are very bottom with just one point from two matches, but of course, it was a way to Racing. They've had arguably two of the uh, sort of handful of hardest fixtures that they're going to have all season already, so we can probably expect them to pick things up a bit. Uh, Atletico de Rafaela, Tempele and Olimpo make up the, the bottom four, which is the relegation zone. Um, there was therefore a big win for Atletico Tucumán against Arsenal, 3-1 away from home. And how well do we think Atletico Tucumán are, are going to be able to sort of keep their noses above water, as it were? Because they are in this, uh, they're, oh, they're currently top of the, the relegation table, in fact, with uh, 36 points from 18 matches. Are they going to be able to maintain the quite impressive sort of level of... Um, it, I think it was almost two points per game, in fact, last season, wasn't it? 30 points over 16 matches, were there, last season? For, for the transitional? Something like that, wasn't it? I don't remember, but what I, I remember is that they started when they, they were recently promoted with a very, very good performance. Mm. And if they keep that or they... they they recover that that kind of, of of performance. They will be safe. I remember even they they beat they beat Boca when uh, at the Bombonera when when Rafa Roberena was there was not safe at the at, the, at his uh, his charge at his position. Um, well, at the, then of course they went went down and, and lost lost matches and that, but. 
uh, I remember them being great when they when they promoted. So the, at least for Atletico Rafaela, if they if they have those matches again, uh, would be I think more than safe. Mm. So the the big thing for them, I guess, the aim is is, is to keep up that um that level. Arsenal, conversely, twenty six points from the twenty fourteen transition. 27 points from the 2015 calendar year championship and 27 points from the 2016 transition. Not brilliant. No. In their 20th, so they're 10 off the bottom of the of the table, but with the chance that Tacheres can pick up loads of points, if Patronato um, can improve slightly on last season because they're going to be dividing by fewer matches as well, they can sort of leap, leap above a few teams. Um, how much longer do we give Arsenal in the Primera? Because after Julio Grondona died, lots of people said, oh, this is it, they're going to sink without a trace and we'll never see them again. Two years later, they're still here for now, but... I think that their time has come. I think they, they're still here because of this new system where there's 30 teams. Mm. Um, and obviously the, the drop isn't going to be straight away. I think, uh, I think within the next two years or three years... It's more than probable that they'll go down. Sorry, friend, I was just gesturing in disbelief at the television, showing that Nunca Estarde by Fox Sports is one best sports program at Summer Watcher, which seems remarkable because it's absolutely awful and it doesn't have anything to do with sport. Oh, it's pretty horrible. Um, anyway, yes, there we go. Arsenal in trouble, in short. And in the other one of those relegation battles, Atletico de Rafael against Tempere, which really was a relegation ding dong. 1-1-0 by the side from Rafaela, who are second bottom in the table. Tempere have fewer games to divide by, um, having only been up for 2015 and 2016 so far. But they're a, they're a third division they're side. Much better, do they? Exactly, yeah. Third or second division at most. You're right, yeah, because they came they came up very quickly, and didn't we, they, as well, like Tashera itself done just now. We expect to have more uh, relegations, for example, now there will be four and two promotions mm. so there are 28 teams for the 27 2018 uh, 2017 2018 season and so on and until they get 20 teams yeah it's or at least i thought i think that or we think that it will be like that like that uh, when there are 20 teams it looks like there won't be any any more uh, averages something like that like I said they, they, they've been talking about I mean they only confirmed that they were going to be averages this season fairly late in the day before it started so I'm looking forward to the day when they don't use them at all anymore um, as I think we all are but yes. uh, well if I mean if it if it, if it isn't right now or when there are four promotions uh, four relegations because of the averages when they, there is no more averages yeah, and you only take the table positions, yes, in that case, uh, if Arsenal uh, uh, is not benefited by, by the averages, yes, I think they, they would they, or they should uh, be relegated sooner or later. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath though. I mean, how, how long has uh, the Boca uh, directorate been talking about a new stadium? 50 years? <laughs> so I wouldn't hold my breath for, for change in the Argentine football system. Yes. I think the thing is, though, that changing the relegation system wouldn't require loads and loads of money that they don't have, whereas the Boca Stadium thing does. 
How long has it been in place, the point average system? 1982, 83. 82, so it's a good run. Yeah. It's a good run. We'll have to see how, lo how much longer they can keep this crazy system in place. Yes, that's right, because if, you, if we are talking about changes, uh, we have to say, okay, let's wait, because uh, there will be matches that won't be played, or at least we think there won't be played because of the, there is a, an issue with poli police officers. Mm. And we can talk about this later, but if, if there is a problem like that, uh, we, we can't say there is anything normal in football, in Argentine football, although there is a, a, a normalization committee or normalization uh, group of, of, of managers yeah. or, or whatever you, you may call that. Uh, if something like that is going to happen, we, we can't expect any, any major changes or changes for football to improve. So what? Uh, if there is, there won't be any averages, averages, or, or, or there will be four or six relegations, or two or three. Well, it's something we have to see day by day and day by day mm. by day because. Indeed. Indeed. Um, we're going to. Oh, just before we do, I've just had a quick look for the relegation battle up this upcoming weekend, and it is Temple versus Arsenal. So if you're into dog fights, then that I think is quite possibly must win for Arsenal really because they're only going to get to play Tempele and indeed all of their other relegation rivals once this season of course I'm not sure who, who's Arsenal's derby against do we know? No, I have no idea they don't have any no I mean I don't, they don't have a classic but who have they been drawn against they're twice? a fictional club um, the Sanders they have been drawn Thank you, Mr. Motorbike Rider. They have been drawn twice against. I can't remember which the um, the the round of Clásicos is. Can you I'm trying to spot who who which name appears twice in this big long list? Should have looked this up beforehand. The date is in October, correct? The Clásico date. The Clásico dates are in. Uh, it's in April, isn't it? Are you looking at last season? No, no, this is this season. Hang on, let's see when River play Boca. That'll give us the I mean, the, the first one is in October. No? Yes. River Boca is yes. in the 13th round and then again in the 24th round. So the 24th round must be the... I don't think they're doing two rounds of all classic. Are they? Well, maybe they are. They are. It's Boca River twice. So I'm assuming Arsenal 13th. are playing... Yeah, yeah, but I mean, before they did them... One Clásico per weekend, and then one weekend with all the Clásicos. They didn't do two weekends with all of them, if you see what I mean. I see what you mean. So, 13th and 24th. So, Defensive Justicia. Oh, and they're playing Tempele on the 24th, so Tempele. Oh, it is Tempele. Okay, they'll get two Tempoli. opportunities to play Tempele. So, this weekend is Arsenal's Clásico, according to the right? random hat draw from the AFA. Um, so, uh, what I just said is not quite so true, then. They will get more than one opportunity to play one of their relegation rivals. Um, but for all of the others, two of whom have already gone and they've lost them both, Samiento and Antigo Tucumán, um, Arsenal are only going to get one chance to take any points off them and therefore distance themselves. So, How did Temperley do the last match? Temperley's last match was uh, a... Oh, I've already skipped. Because they won the first one. Uh, Temperley's last match was... Lost, right? Of course, we just said, yeah, they, they lost 1-0 to Atletico de Rafaela with a 19th-minute free kick from Federico Luna. I think it's Federico Luna, isn't it? Franco. Francisco, maybe. With F. F. F Luna. F. 
Yes, that's it. Um, we're going to go away now, and then when we come back, we will discuss, uh, or rather very briefly explain what Andres said a minute ago about the um, possibility of a couple of Primera matches being postponed this weekend. We'll explain why that is. Um, and we will very briefly go into the Copa Sudamericana ties, which are sort of ongoing um, at the moment, uh, and answer some listeners' questions. So don't go away. interesting situation because it came to light just today that uh, San Lorenzo against Vélez Sarsfield and River Plate against San Martín de San Juan might have to be postponed. They are the only two matches this weekend that are taking place in the city of Buenos Aires in the Primera. The lower division matches have already been postponed apparently um, because of something or other that's proper news and therefore I've not been paying attention to it but Andres is now about to fill us in with the details Yes, apparently there will be a lot of police officers uh, that will be uh, taking care of, of uh, an organisation where there will be discussed the, 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 first, the, the, the price that the people will have to pay for the gas, for example the, 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 the monthly price that they will have to pay and uh, there will be people protesting about that, for that. That means that that police that should be affected the, the matches won't attend that, those matches. That's why security won't be uh, served for in, in those matches. And they, 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 should, they have to uh, reschedule the, 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 yeah, the minor division matches and some of the third division ones, like San Lorenzo that will be playing Saturday uh, at 4 p.m. and I, I don't know the, the the original time that they should have been playing. Uh, the times uh, that we've got here are River are playing some I've been on Sunday yes. at 6 p.m. which really confuses me about yes, why uh, that factor. Uh, 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 initially, and San Lorenzo are due to play Vélez at 8 p.m. Well, on they, Saturday. they will play at 4 uh, like San Lorenzo wanted because they wanted to play during the day because of security issues. And in fact, sorry, Andres, to interrupt, but I got a tweet earlier, not to have the pod, but to me, um, from somebody who I don't know whether he's a listener or not, but I'm going to read it out here in case he is. Where is it gone? Um, saying that... Oh, hang on, that was yesterday. Uh, where's today? He's gone. From somebody called Gambo, who says that there have been... I assume he's a match-going San Lorenzo fan. He says there have been no police... No police anywhere around Bajo Flores for the last three or four San Lorenzo home games. It's getting more dangerous each time, which, considering that there's an enormous slum right next to San Lorenzo Stadium, um, is quite a bizarre situation for it to be in. Really. Three or four matches on, well, yeah. I don't know the explanation about that. At least the explanation for this date, or for this round, is that the that police will be in an, another place and they won't be able for, for the matches. Uh, but anyway, River will play at uh, 6 p.m. on Sunday, although it was said that it will be rescheduled also. Uh, and the problem will be with the National B and Primera B matches that won't be taking place in the Buenos Aires, in, in the Capital Federal. Mm. Uh, and they, uh, 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 as soon as 
what I have read at least is that they will be playing uh, during the day on a weekday so it will be very very uh, of course this uh, it's advantage for for the teams oh I was watching that they play sorry <laughs> it will very very uh, it will be disab a real disadvantage for them in terms of the money they will the incomes they will receive uh, well that's the the more or less the, the news about the, the matches Thank you very much, Andres. Um, very informative. Uh, we shall get straight on. We might actually have a reasonably shortened episode this week. It's remarkable. We're going to get straight on with some listeners' questions. Um, the first tweets that we had today were from uh, listener Bob Roberts, who has sent me in some mystical picks, which you'll be hearing later. Um, we had one a couple of days ago from JB Boxing Promotions who says any idea whether AFA has tried to sell the TV rights overseas the geo-blocking is nonsense I would pay if they let me the, the geo-blocking is not sort of that nonsensical it's uh, obviously it was lovely when it, I, I'm sure particularly for our foreign listeners but also you know it was pretty nice for us to be able to know that you guys were all able to watch the matches that we were talking about without any problems whilst, uh, whilst there wasn't a geo-block in place but it does make sense because the AFA aren't going to be able to sell the TV rights abroad unless um, the companies who have them for Argentina now are geo-blocking. So, for that reason. Um, and I suspect there are going to be negotiations going on. I mean, bear in mind that they haven't managed to sell their domestic television rights for 2017 yet. So, um, before they can sell them abroad, eh, we're going to have to wait and see. Um, hopefully that answers the question, um, JB. Um, thank you for asking it. John Ewan says that he's just caught up with our interview from a couple of episodes back with Jonathan Wilson about his new book on Argentine football. Good. Glad you enjoyed that, John. Thank you. Um, Darren Paul says, how long until Marcos Acuna moves to a top, top European side and gets a call up by Bausa? Maybe he doesn't well, have to. Well, I... I, I some, some players are getting called up by Bausa without moving to well, I, I read, top European sides. Yeah. I read it. Well, Alario, Prato, he's not playing for a top European side. Um, any others? Who else? No, okay. It's difficult. That could happen. From here, from San Lorenzo. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And Mercado, who uh, now it's at Sevilla, but he has been playing for River. Juan mm Mori, -hmm. who has been called up when he was just moving to Everton, could be. Oh, but, not by Bowser. Yeah, by Martino. He was called up by Martino, right. But how long uh, is it anyway until Marcos Acuna? Well, I, I read a tweet, I think it was a joke uh, from English Dan saying that how uh, something like that something like how on earth is Di Maria on the national team with Marcos Acuña at this level and I, I agree with him uh, slightly agree because he's playing very very well and he serves uh, at it for me seriously a call up from from Bausa as as he's watching all the players uh, he, ha he has said has said that, he that he's watching 60 players We'll get on to that a little later because we had a question of, about of that. Of course. That. Well, but taking a, uh, into account that number, yeah. I think that between those 60 players should be, should be Marcos mm -hmm. I think uh, I think if he keeps up his level, maybe halfway into the season, his chances will increase. But I think it's, it's only been two matches. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have, in, in terms of bouncer watching and trying to, to guess his thought process and so on, it's always tricky, but uh, as it is with any national manager. Um, but we've got a sort of fair, by international standards, a, a pretty intense run of games between now and the end of the year because it's uh, three or four weeks until the next 
uh, World Cup qualifying doubleheader, and then it's about another month from then until the one after that, which of course is the Colombia and Brazil doubleheader. So that's going to be really um, interesting to to see what the call ups are like for that one. Um, so we'll have a better idea really in in sort of a couple of months' time, a significantly better idea of. of what Bowser wants from his national team and who he likes for his national team as well. Um, Darren also asks, what do we make of uh, Bo getting the Racing captaincy? I haven't noticed he had, actually, I'll talk about it. I don't really pay attention to captains. No, after Saka, there will be another captain. captain and I'm well, a bit surprised it wasn't Lisandro Lopez, I have to say. That would have been well, he's not, a, he's, he's not a first-team starter... Yeah. Every single time, you no, know. sure, but he is the. I mean, I would guess he's one of the, the the dressing room leaders, so it would be unconventional, perhaps. Mm. But Bo is Bo isn't. He's obviously my, very good. He isn't very he's vocal on the pitch. He's yeah. a bit of a shy one. Yeah, yeah. So it's, a bit of a strange one. Yeah, interesting decision. Well, but the same same things. Uh, it was was said about Messi, and, and he's not shy anymore. I think in terms of of. Uh, talking about uh, talking to referees and, 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 and protesting, I, I remember uh, talking with the referee, him talking with the referee when Dybala was sent off against uh, mm-hmm. Uruguay. Um, so it, perhaps he's shy for the people and not in the, in the dressing room. Uh, uh, yes, but he's the captain. It's not that he will make him any better. Mm. Interestingly, sorry, you mentioned talking about referees. This has nothing to do with uh, with Darren's question, but uh, I remember. <coughs> hearing a comment from Lucas Alario um, after Argentina v Uruguay, I think it was, it might have been the Venezuela match, um, saying that Bausa had, had asked the two Lucases, Prato and Alario, um, to sort of be particularly communicative with the referee to try and sort of gently chide him without obviously going overboard. Um, but in particular those two rather than any of the other players because they've been playing the Copa Libertadores regularly for the whole time they know the referees very well in, in South America and therefore they can maybe get a little bit more out of them than the guys who are over in Europe and, and have a different manner of, of dealing with them um, it's an interesting thing that I hadn't really thought about before but I guess it, it is worth uh, consideration yes it is part of the game a, exactly and, and particularly uh, in this part of the world that's <laughs> um, Francisco Aldasha has tweeted in to ask is Sam as good a host as Tinelli or better I think I'd have to say better Yes, of course. Certainly less misogynistic. Uh, I, I must say there, there should be, it would be good for for uh, to be any any girls here, any chicks, but there aren't any. So uh, taking apart that, that that detail, you are better. And if they were, then I'd be far less sexist to them than he is. Yes. Um, Darren Paul says I like Federal or Argentinos Juniors to go up. What are your thoughts? I like both of those. Yeah. I've not seen either of them, and I've not seen their results either. I think Ferro um, were were very good last season, and they were they were about to go up, or at least go in. They got into the playoffs, and I think they lost in the semi final to Santa Marina. We're going to have two teams promoted at the end of this season from the B Nacional, if I'm not mistaken. And um, after three matches so far, the top four are Villa Dalmine, top of the league, Brown de Adrogué. Uh, and Argentinos Juniors all have seven points. Ferro and Santa Marina de Tandil and Flandria have six points. Yes, those three Argentinos Juniors, Ferro and Santa Marina will be uh, there. Flandria are in the second division. This yeah. is the weirdness of the yes. thirty. That's why the, the yes, that, that's why these these uh, tournaments uh, sort of tour- tournaments have killed the, the ascents or the minor divisions. I mean, I like the look of that. It's a second division. It, yes. it looks nice and federal. You've got. 
Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero, Juventud Unida de Guadalajara, and so on. Um, but yeah, when you end up with some of these teams being in the second division, it just feels a little bit weird mm. to, uh, to many people. Um, so yes, basically, Darren, we agree with you, in short. Uh, Roberto Rojas asks, how has Oscar Romero and Miguel Almiron been doing at their respective clubs? Do you rate them highly? Yes and yes, uh, they've been doing really well. Miguel Almiron was arguably the player of the championship um, during the, the championship that Lanús won uh, in the first half of this year. Um, and obviously, Roberto's very familiar with, with the kind of players these, these guys both are. Roberto's Paraguayan, so he, he watches the national team. Um, yeah, Al- Almiron, I think, is a definite star of the future. And mm. I mean, the same for Oscar Romero. He's, he's slowed down his development maybe a little bit compared with what we've expected of him from those first couple of months at Racing. Um, and then, but he's rounding out nicely and, and he's starting to. Uh, he's maybe not as spectacular as he was when he began, but he, he's becoming a very, very intelligent player. Um, but there's, really like both there's a detail that I heard on, ra- on the radio that Zielinski uh, asked him where he was more comfortable. Mm. And he asked, answered that he's more comfortable playing from the, or at least starting from the left. Um, I, I thought, or I would thought that he would say as a natural enganche or number 10, but no, he said, uh, yes, I prefer to start from the left. Then he will change and, and shift yeah. and, and, and play all around the, the midfield. But uh, yes, it was like that. And, and it's good for, for him, for his confidence, confidence because uh, I, know, I don't know if there are a lot of coaches that ask a, a talented player where he's more comfortable but to put him where he thinks mm. yeah mm. Uh, Tariq Al-Haida asks a question which I haven't previously considered really but it has an interesting implication I think he says where would Franco Vasquez play if Bausa were to call him up for Argentina I've not heard of, of him being under consideration or anything but I think he'd be a very interesting option for the sort of number 8 no but he has been called up for Italy for Italy I think already oh, of course he has Yeah. no but those no, were friends only from this one, he can play. He can play for Argentina. Can he? Yeah. Yeah, it was in the it was in the papers oh. that Bausa was considering him. Okay, I thought that even from this when he played for the national team, the, the major national team, they, they could be eligible for. Yeah, I, I it surprised me as well. I I thought uh, he was ruled out for Argentina, but apparently not, and. Uh, to be honest, though, I think he would be a substitute. I don't think he would start for Argentina. See, I think he'd be an interesting option for midfield if he is indeed yeah. eligible. Um, the midfield is an area that, that they need to look at, clearly. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I can, um, I can see it. I, I think if, if he were going to... If he were called up and if he were in the starting lineup, he'd, he'd be a sort of number eight, wouldn't he, more than anything, a, a box-to-box star midfield. He started playing more in the midfield and then he was <coughs> naturally in Italy, uh, uh, included more as a second striker. Yeah, he's, he's actually, his, his Wikipedia page lists him as a, as a media punta, yes. as, as you say, a second striker. But I, I think for Argentina, and, and given what we saw from him when he was with Belgrano, um, I think he'd probably be playing slightly further back. I, I really wouldn't see him starting into the, the, the sort of four-man three plus one um, forward line that Argentina have got uh, although having said that I've not seen very much of him in either Italy or in Spain so you never know um, next question is from Lawrence Hart who says given that any half decent player in Argentine football is given a nickname is there an official nicknaming department or is it all the work of the media 
Which player has the most inappropriate nickname, bearing in mind that Argentina is not the most politically correct country in the world? Um, it's the work of the media, or their friends, or their family, or their teammates, or whoever, really. They, they're often asked, do you have a nickname, when they first break into the first team and get their first interviews or whatever. Um, so nobody really does it as an official job, mm. or a semi-official job. Um, player with the most inappropriate nickname. I think bearing in mind that there are loads of players called El Negro or something, which in Spanish isn't that I, I think it, but in English sounds like it is. Inappropriate, I think Ruben Capria, the magician, was also called the Manguera because of his... Uh, <laughs> uh, really? Yes. His piece. Yes. Uh, hose, and, the hose. And, and Masoni, a former player from Independiente, well, at least I remember him playing for Independiente, uh, the, the pig, or the female pig, Chancha. Mm-hmm. Because uh, his size also, but his his uh, his belly, uh, and he I think there was a time in which uh, Marcelo Araujo, a commentator, also former commentator, uh, called him the ch- la chancha, la chancha, or the pig, the pig, and he was annoyed because of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Harry Laws says, I saw Miguel Almiron link with Arsenal recently. What can you tell us about him? I say Arsenal. Oh my god, you scared me for a second. <laughs> Arsenal. And I, I did tweet back to him and said, just before we record, we're talking about Arsenal de Woolwich here, not Arsenal de Sarandi. And he said, yes, that's correct. Um, he would have been quite a coup, as Harry says, for Arsenal de Sarandi. Um, for Arsenal, I think he could do a job in the Premier League. He maybe needs to, he'd, he'd need to fit out a little bit first. And, yeah. 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 Um, but... Uh, yeah, as, as we said a minute ago to Roberto's question, very, very quick, very good in central midfield, very good with his feet and mm. decent range of passing um, and running and shooting. I, I think he can really do a little bit of everything that you need to be a good attacking midfielder. I feel that he would benefit first from a move to a place like Spain or Portugal, mm-hmm. perhaps Italy as well, before going to the Prem. Just yeah. because he's unta- he's very young, uh, he's if he's had a very good season which he won a title with Lanús, but he he still has you know to prove himself at a at a higher level. Yeah, and I mean the other thing as well is is the the, the sort of personality aspect off the pitch as well. He's obviously adaptable. He's come to Buenos Aires, uh, having having started out in Paraguay and has adapted well to that change. But then going from you know, from Buenos Aires to, sorry, from, I'm guessing, Asuncion to Buenos Aires is one kind of change, but going to then London is is a very different uh, so, sometimes you don't know. So. Sometimes you don't know even if he came to the country with his family, with his girlfriend, if he has, with, with mm. someone, sure. or, he, or if he's alone and, and to adapt himself to those changes, yes, it's, it's not, not, not easy. But as a player, love him. Yes. He looks a really good talent. Uh, Phil Carney, talking of Lanús um, players, Phil, the, the, the Lanús fan, has, has tweeted in. He says, to what what extent do you think club ties play in selection for the Argentine national team? For instance, is it easier for a current or former Boca or River player to get called up than a player from a lesser club, lesser in inverted commas, uh, like Lanús or Banfield, or is that just natural fan paranoia? No, I not think at all. No. Once upon a time, it possibly would have helped but that would have been, I think, more to do with the fact that Boca and River had a monopoly financially um, and all of the best players, or the vast majority of the best players, ended up going through one or sometimes, on very rare occasions, both of those clubs before moving on to Europe anyway. Now, I don't, I don't think it happens anything like as much. Um, obviously, they've both got very strong academies. 
they both have a lot of players who come through those youth academies, never make it into their own first team and then go elsewhere. So you're going to get a relatively high number um, of River and Boca sort of youth products playing for the national team, perhaps. Um, but I don't think that there really is that much of a... Well, I mean, Di Maria played for Rosario Central. Prato was a Boca youth, but he never really played there. He, he played for Vélez most of the time. Um, no, I don't think today there's a bias at all no, for no. Boca or, or River players. River has a great youth system, so that's why you see so many uh, cropping up on the national team over time, you know? Yeah. But mo a lot of them didn't even play that long for River. Mm. And, I mean, at, at the same time, it's not like we're seeing um, loads of River players getting called up at a time when River have a particularly weak team as well. That, that would perhaps uh, be an indicator that Yes, there is a little bit of bias in play, but uh, I wouldn't say there is. Go Sorry, on. just a quick question. Going back to the topic of the previous uh, question, did you guys see that Luca Salario was linked with Inter over the last couple of days? And know. Sanetti, Javier Sanetti, is working for Inter. And uh, Donofrio, the River president, today told the media that he hopes Zanetti loses his passport. <laughs> because he hopes that obviously he doesn't come to Argentina to start negotiations because he wants to keep Alaria. So he that, that's a sounds I think like a good-natured joke about hoping that it doesn't happen rather than suggesting that Sanetti's being a traitor to Argentine <laughs> football and should have it taken off him. He has been also, also mentioned that to to go to any uh, an English I don't know first it was Liverpool and then I don't know if there was another club but I don't know if it was Smoker or or Real Hmm. But playing for national team, of, of course, helps him to be more uh, watched in 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 those countries. And in Premier League, you have to play for national team to be uh, perhaps. Well, sometimes you do. There, there can be exceptions, but yeah, it makes like it a little more, easier. Yes. I'll be very surprised if he's at still at River after December. Hmm. Very surprised. Yeah, I think we all would be. Uh, Independiente Lanús, by the way, just got slightly more interesting. There are 17 and a half minutes to go, and Gustavo Toledo has just been sent off. So Independiente, who lead 1-0 on the night and 3-0 on aggregate, are down to 10 men. Um, so we'll find out whether Lanús can do anything now. And obviously if this match hasn't finished by the time we record, uh, fin by the time we finish recording, I will be back after the theme music to let you know what the score was. Chris Murtag asks, is Banfield's season over already? Out of the Sudamericana, as of Tuesday night, of course, when they lost a spectacular um, comeback against San Lorenzo. Um, in the second leg Banfield won the first leg 2-0 and then lost the second leg last night what was the score? 4-1? 4-1 yes. with, uh, with the penalty missed in the last minute mm. and he says it seems our team lacks a real spark or a star at worrying well, times I think Eroviti being the playmaker 36 or so, 37 years of age on the decline mm. Santiago Silva the number 9 is he like on 34 decline. on the decline uh, Bertolo who is on the back of a relative failure at River. I think uh, I think uh, the the psychological factor there is is definitely negative. So yeah. I would I would say that things don't look bright. They, they looked really good after they beat San Lorenzo Tuna in the first leg at the Sudamericana, and then of course the next match a few days after that was that four one thrashing away to River um, in the first day of the league or the first weekend of the league season, um, and it sort of seemed like at the time that that was going to be probably, especially against the Julio Cesar Falcioni side, that that was going to be the low point for Banfield and they couldn't possibly you know, fail to improve from that point. But um, they've now lost another one, 4-1, away from home, albeit in a different competition. So perhaps 
Falcioni is losing his touch. Perhaps he's just not got the right players to work with. Perhaps he's sticking too closely to some key members of the team who he mm. won the league with, with Banfield, of course. Sometimes second parts aren't good. And yeah. Falcioni was called because he has been... He, he had... Uh, he became champion when, when Manfield, with Banfield at 2008-2009. And perhaps they, they thought that this time would be similar and... and no, it, it it isn't same as Bianchi at, at Boca. Uh, the third, it was third time, uh, the last one, right? Uh, and well, hap- sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, they, they perhaps lost, both lost the, the touch. Uh, he had James Rodriguez in that title-winning season, uh, I think. Yes, James Rodriguez, Papelito Fernandez, Silva at their, at their best moment. Arbiti at, at his best, best moment. Mm, exactly. Uh, and finally, Sivan John asks um, uh, about uh, Edgardo Bausa, what, what he calls the 60-player plan um, for the national team. He, he says his opinion, our opinion, sorry, about uh, Bausa's plan with the national team, and is there any potential outsider among the 60 players? So Andres mentioned earlier um, that Bausa had said he was watching 60 players. I think my reading of the comments that Sivan has, um, that John, sorry, has, has sent us the link to, uh, is more that Bowser's sort of saying we're watching somewhere in that region of that number of players. I don't think he's got specifically a list mm. of 60 players who so he's keeping tabs on. Um, so his general plan for the national team is, I mean, clearly he wants everybody to know that they're, that there's a chance, right? I mean, he's saying this knowing that the players are going to hear it, knowing that they're going to think, OK, if we play well, we can get into the team. Very similar to what the, the Bolivian national manager did for the last World Cup doubleheader, which was to call up 93 players as a way of saying... Everybody has a chance for my team. Um, yeah, it's a bit more extreme. But yes, even, a little bit. Yeah, I don't one, know what the squad numbers were like. When Chope Avila said last week, he's doing very, very good, good at Cruzeiro. He has been mentioned to, to leave uh, Brazil and go to, to Europe, to Spain. And uh, he said that the Prato collab uh, open, opens the door to any other player that plays either in Brazil or in Argentina because they're having. And, and Avila's playing in the same city as Prato, though. Yes. Just, just across Belo Horizonte. Um, so, yeah, I, I think potential outsiders... Um, I think it's exactly what we talked about in the first podcast that uh, after the winter break, mm. that Argentina needs that fresh injection of new players to bring in a new energy. I know it sounds very new age, but I think after so many uh, coming shorts, I don't know how to say it, um, of, of defeats in finals... I think you need sort of that fresh yeah. energy from, from new players. Yeah, exactly, to, to keep a core which has clearly had some success, but at the same time to, to renew certain parts of the team. Exactly. I think outsiders would be players like Giovanni Lo Celso um, at Central, who mm. didn't get called up, I think, to a small degree of surprise uh, for the last couple of um, of World Cup qualifiers. Even uh, Servi, who's in yeah, Benfica. Yeah, who's right. playing at Benfica as well? So that's that's going to be big for him if he can keep getting minutes. I think he played. Was it yesterday? They made the they played the first. Yes, and scored the goal against Galatasaray. Of course he did. Yes, so he definitely played. Um, and yeah, sort of players like that. Uh, the recent central um, products, let's say, and obviously, uh, you know. But, but at the same time, I think you're talking almost about when you say outsiders, like. Prato and Alario are almost outsiders to hang on to their squad places because Gonzalo Higuain's probably going to be coming back for the next double header. Um, well, especially after those magnificent goals he scored over the weekend. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so, you know, if, if one of them or both of them is still in the squad, then in a way that would be, uh, again, a very, very minor surprise. Uh, but by and large, I think that Bowser's going to look to initially solidify things, use the core of players that he already knows can get results in the World Cup qualifiers, because that is the most important thing at the moment, especially with those qualifiers being as tight as they are. Mm. And then he's going to start to look to experiment once he gets some friendlies in and, and so on. Um, so as I said, after we've, in a couple of months' time, and we've had two more double-headers, four more matches in total for the national team, and he's had a bit more time in charge of them, we're going to get a better idea of, of his thinking, um, I think. If neither of you have anything to add, then we're going to go on to Mystic section. So okay. the music now that's coming up is our prediction music, and this week's predictions come from Mystic Bob Roberts. Okay, Bob's predictions for the coming weekend are as follows. He's going for a Colón victory at home to Tacheres, uh, Lanús victory at home to Unión, so Lanús to get over there, sort of slump in form, Central to beat Patronato in Rosario, Aldo Civi to beat Banfield in Mar del Plata. Uh, he's going for Independiente, he's only going for one away win, in fact, um, this weekend, and that is Independiente to beat Quilmes. San Lorenzo Vélez is going for a draw, Sarmiento Newell's draw, Tempa de Arsenal draw, Atletico Tucumán vs Estudiantes is a draw, that's an interesting call. Um, Belgrano to beat Olimpo at home, Godoy Cruz and Boca Juniors to draw in Mendoza, River Plate to beat San Martín de San Juan in the Monumental, Racing to beat Defensa Justicia in El Cilindro, uh, Tigret to draw with Huracán and Gimnasia, to get a win against Atletico de Rafaela. What do we think of those predictions, guys, if anything? Sounds good. Sounds good. As I said, I'm I'm interested uh, by the draw prediction for Atletico Tucumán against against Estudiantes. Estudiantes have started pretty well. If if I had double chance, Mm. I would put Estudiantes along with the the draw. But, They could win that one. They, they could definitely win it. But uh, it wouldn't be surprising a draw after two wins. Mm. And Colón to beat Tacheres in the very first match. Is... Yes, I, I would go for a draw there. Yeah. I would go for a draw. Yeah. Just one thing to add uh, that we didn't mention throughout the podcast. Go that on. there will be 10,000 away fans at uh, the Godoy Cruz Boca match. And also for, I think, Racing and Defensive Justicia. Obviously there won't be 10,000 of them there. Defensive DC don't get 10,000 fans at their own home games, probably. Um, but there will be away, um, away fans at that match and one of the other ones in Provincia as well, but I can't remember. Uh, Provida confirmed it today. Um, so, yes, I think away that, fans are back. I think that it a, seems, yeah. As a long term uh, away fans uh, permit, I, I don't see. I don't see it because uh, I, I have read and it is logical but not good for Argentina football that uh, teams. The directors or the ma- the board members of the of the big teams, it's no deal for them. They they like to have away away uh, supporters or away team supporters because, uh, of course, they there will be less away, home team home uh, supporters and it's they are like used to that and they don't see and it uh, in a good way. But and on that note, now I've clicked through to the racing section of the LA oh. website to see whether I can find the news item that was about the away fans at Racing's game and one other one. 
Uh, and it says here that the um, that Racing have, have announced that the match against Defence Eagles DCR will only be uh, home fans. So they've sort of unilaterally said, no, we're not having the away fans in. So that's nice. It, so it's I'm basically going to take an AFA regulation saying all matches have got to have X percent of the capacity given over to away fans um, mm. before any of these clubs agree to this now, isn't it? It's well, a I mean, I, I, what I, we talked about last time I was on the podcast was that Boca and River aren't as interested as other clubs in having away fans at their own stadiums mm. because they don't collect as much money. They don't get as much revenue. If, Wait. say, Godoy Cruz plays at the Omonera, they're going to have maybe 2,000 or 1,000 away fans. Yeah. Whereas if, if they have if they open up that section to more Boca fans, obviously they're going to get more They will fill up the, the stadium with only with their own uh, supporters. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that plays out, if, if away fans are going to come back or not. They surely have to, because what other country in the world doesn't have away fans? Precisely, yeah. Um, and, and everybody, you know, Everybody who's older than about ten years old can can remember when there were away fans in the stadiums, and it was much more fun. But for example, the the other day or the for, for the second round, there was there there started a system called uh, safe uh, tribuna tribunes safe tribune or something like that that you have to call uh, to take your DNI. I was a pilot, yeah. For some matches, the police were checking people's national identity. But uh, Rafael Diceo was admitted to mm. get into the stadium. Yes, because the batter of Barabas didn't have them checked. I, I read this. <laughs> well, I went to the stadium. The through anyway. I went to the same, like I said, and a friend of mine entered through a different section uh, that I did, and neither of us were checked mm. for our national identity They, were, they cards. were doing it very randomly and only for certain sections or something. Yeah. Right? In so. fact, the, the guard was like, uh, no, you don't have to show that with me. Because I had it in my hand thinking that I was going to have to show it. I think the idea was that they, ha- they have uh, um, mobile phone apps or, or possibly they're provided with a, like a Palm Pilot star thing which did an automatic check to see whether the, the bearer of the ID card uh, had a criminal record or not. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the thing. So possibly they didn't have that. But even then, I mean, if you're going to do it, then you have to do it for everybody. Yeah. And if you're not doing it for everybody, then it's completely useless because... The, and the people you want to stop from going in and the are clubs, going to know where you're doing it and where you're not. And the so. clubs say, well, as a member, they didn't do, any, they didn't do anything illegal. Mm. Uh, so, well, it's, they, they don't collaborate also. It's a joke, as much of Argentine football still is. Indeed it is, but it's kept us going for nearly six years. Um, so, in a way, we're thankful. Off to the it. pitch. Off the pitch. Exactly. Um, on the pitch little bit more serious. A tiny bit, anyway. Um, there are four and a half minutes left in Abishaneda, but no minutes at all left here in Almagro. We're going to end Handapod 232 here. So thank you very much to listen for listening to us. Um, listeners? Yeah. Slight overuse of, of the word listen in that sentence, but we'll, we'll roll with it. Um, hope you enjoy the football this weekend. I'll be back after the final whistle of Independiente Lanús to let you know um, what the score is I suspect I'll just be confirming the 1-0 victory that Independiente look like coasting to now and in the meantime it is goodbye from Fran pleasure to be here as always goodbye from Andres goodbye thank you and goodbye from me goodbye
Independiente versus Lanús has just finished 1-0, so Independiente win 3-0 and are through on aggregate and are through to the uh, last 16, isn't it? Yeah, off the Copa Sudamericana. 